0: Thanks for joining us at 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. Today's story from one of my favorite writers, Zane Gray, is called The Red-Headed Outfield. There was Delaney's red-haired trio. Red Gilbat, left fielder. Reddy Clammer, right fielder. And Reddy Ray, center fielder. Composing the most remarkable outfield ever developed in minor league baseball. It was Delaney's pride, as it was also his trouble. Red Gilbat was nutty, and his batting average was 371. Any student of baseball could weigh these two facts against each other and understand something of Delaney's trouble. It was not possible to camp on Red Gilbat's trail. The man was a jack o' lantern, a will o the wisp, a weird, long legged, long armed, red haired, elusive phantom. When the gong rang at the ball grounds, there were ten chances to one that Red would not be present. He had been discovered with small boys peeping through knot holes at the vacant left field he was supposed to inhabit during play. Of course, what Red did off the ball grounds was not so important as what he did on, and there was absolutely no telling what under the sun he might do then, except once out of every three times at bat, he could be counted on to knock the cover off the ball. Reddy Clammer was a grandstand player, the kind all managers hated, and he was hitting 305. He made circus catches, circus stops, circus throws, circus steals, but particularly circus catches. That is to say, he made easy plays appear difficult. He was always strutting, posing, talking, arguing, quarreling, when he was not engaged in making a grandstand play. Reddy Clammer used every possible incident and artifice to bring himself into the limelight. Reddy Ray had been the intercollegiate champion in the sprints and a famous college ball player. After a few months of professional ball, he was hitting over four hundred and leading the league both at bat and on the bases. It was a beautiful and thrilling sight to see him run. He was so quick to start, so marvelously swift, so keen of judgment that neither Delaney nor any player could ever tell the hit that he was not going to get. That was why Reddy Ray was a whole game in himself. Delaney's Rochester Stars and the Providence Grays were tied for first place. Of the present series, each team had won one game. Rivalry always had been keen, and as the teams were about to enter the long home stretch for the pennant, there was battle in the New England air. The September day was perfect. The stands were half full, and the bleachers packed with a white-sleeved mass. And the field was beautifully level and green. The greys were practicing, and the stars were on their bench. Yeah, we're up against it, Delaney was saying. This new umpire, Fuller, has got it in for us. Believe me, he's a robber. But Scott is pitching well, won his last three games. He'll bother him and the three reds have broken loose. They're on the rampage. They'll burn this place up today. Somebody noted the absence of Gilbat. Delaney gave a sudden start. Why, Gil was here. He said slowly, Lord, he's about due for a nutty stunt. Whereupon Delaney sent boys and players scurrying about to find Gilbat, and Delaney went himself to ask the Providence manager to hold back the gong for a few minutes. Presently, somebody brought Delaney a telephone message that Red Gilbat was playing ball with some boys in a lot four blocks down the street. When at length a couple of players marched up to the bench with Red in tow, Delaney uttered an immense sigh of relief, and then, after a close scrutiny of Red's face, he whispered, "'Lock the gates!' Then the gong rang. The greys trooped in. The stars ran out except Gilbat, who ambled like a giraffe." The hum of conversation in the grandstand quickened for a moment with the scraping of chairs, and then grew quiet. The bleachers sent up the rollicking cry of expectancy. The umpire threw out the white ball with his stentorian "play ball, and Blake of the Greys strode to the plate. Hitting safely, he started the game with a rush. With door up, the star infield played for a bunt. Like clockwork, Dore dumped the first ball as Blake got his flying start for second base. Morrissey tore in for the ball, got it on the run, and snapped it underhand to Healy, beating the runner by an inch. The fast Blake, with a long slide, made third base. Feet in the stands stamped. The bleachers howled. White, next man up, batted a high fly to left field. This was a sunny field and the hardest to play in the league. Red Gilbat was the only man who ever played it well. He judged the fly, waited under it, took a step back, then forward, then deliberately caught the ball in his gloved hand. A throw in to catch the runner, scoring from third base, would have been futile, but it was not like Red Gilbat to fail to try. He tossed the ball to O'Brien, and Blake scored amid applause. "'Well, what do you know about that?' ejaculated Delaney wiping his moist face. I never before saw our nutty redhead pull off a play like that. Some of the players yelled at red. This is a two-handed league, you bat! The first five players on the list for the Grays were left-handed batters, and against a right-handed pitcher whose most effective ball for them was a high fast one over the outer corner they would naturally hit toward left field. It was no surprise to see Hanley bat a skyscraper at the left. Red had to run to get under it. He braced himself rather unusually for a fielder. He tried to catch the ball in his bare right hand and muffed it. Hanley got the second on the play while the audience roared. When they got through, there was some roaring among the Rochester players. Scott and Captain Healy roared at Red, and Red roared back at them. "'It's all off. Red never did that before,' cried Delaney in despair. "'He's gone clean buggy now.' Babcock was the next man up, and he likewise hit the left. It was a low, twisting ball, half fly, half liner, and a difficult one to field. Gilbat ran in with great bounds, and though he might have got two hands on the ball, he did not try, but this time caught it in his right, retiring the side. The stars trotted in, Scott and Healy and Kane, all veterans, looking like thunderclouds. Red ambled in the last, and he seemed very nonchalant. By gosh, I'd have catched that one I'd muffed if I'd had time to change hands, he said with a grin, and he exposed a handful of peanuts. He had refused to drop the peanuts to make the catch with two hands. That explained the mystery. It was funny, but nobody laughed. There was that run chalked up against the Stars, and this game had to be won. Red, I, I want to take the team home in the lead, said Delaney and it was plain that he suppressed a strong feeling. You didn't play the game, you know. Red appeared mightily ashamed. Dell, I'll get that run back, he said. Then he strode to the plate, swinging his wagon-tongue bat. For all his awkward position in the box, he looked what he was, a formidable hitter. He seemed to tower over the pitcher. Red was six feet one, "'and he scowled and shook his bat at Wayne "'and called, "'Put one over, you wienerwurst. "'Wayne was anything but red-headed, "'and he wasted so many balls on red "'that it looked as if he might pass him. "'He would have passed him, too, "'if red had not stepped over on the fourth ball "'and swung on it. "'White at second base leaped high for the stinging hit, "'but failed to reach it. "'The ball struck and bounded for the fence. "'When Babcock fielded it in, "'red was standing on third base.' "'and the bleachers groaned. "'Whereupon chesty, ready clamor "'proceeded to draw attention to himself "'and incidentally delay the game "'by assorting the bats "'as if the audience and the game "'might gladly wait years to see him make a choice. "'Get in the game!' "'yelled Delaney. "'Ah, take my bat, Duke of the Abrupski!' "'sarcastically said Dump Kane. "'When the grouchy Kane offered to lend his bat, "'matters were critical in the star camp. Other retorts followed, which Reddy Clammer deigned not to notice. At last he got a bat that suited him, and then, importantly, dramatically, with his cap jauntily riding his red locks, he marched to the plate. Some wag in the bleachers yelled into the silence, "'Oh, Maggie, your lover has come!' Not improbably, Clammer was thinking first of his presence before the multitude, and secondly of his batting average, and thirdly of the run to be scored. In this instance he waited and fainted at balls and fouled strikes at length to work his base. When he got to first, suddenly he bolted for second, and in the surprise of the unlooked for play, he made it by a spread eagle slide. It was a circus steal. Delaney snorted. Then the look of profound disgust vanished in a flash of light. His huge face beamed. Reddy Ray was striding to the plate. There was something about Reddy Ray that pleased all the senses. His lithe form seemed instinct with life. Any sudden movement was suggestive of stored lightning. His position at the plate was on the left side, and he stood perfectly motionless, with just a hint of tense waiting alertness. Dorr, Blake, and Babcock, the outfielders for the Greys, trotted round to the right of their usual position. Delaney smiled derisively, as if he knew how futile it was to tell what field Reddy Ray might hit into. Wayne, the pitcher, warily eyed the youngster, and threw him a high curve, close in. It grazed Reddy's shirt, but he never moved a hair. Then, Wayne, after the manner of many veteran pitchers when trying out a new and menacing batter, drove a straight fastball at Reddy's head. Reddy ducked, neither too slow nor too quick, just right to show what an eye he had, how hard he was to pitch to. The next one was a strike, and on the next he appeared to step and swing in one action. There was a ringing rap, and the ball shot toward right, curving down, a vicious, headed hit. Mallory at first base snatched at it, but found only air. Babcock had only time to take a few sharp steps, and then he plunged down, blocked to the hit, and fought the twisting ball. Reddy turned first base, flitted on towards second, went headlong in the dust, and shot to the base before White got the throw-in from Babcock. Then, as White wheeled and lined the ball home to catch the scoring clamor, Reddy Ray leaped up, got his spreader start, and like a rocket, was off for third. This time he dove behind the base, sliding in a half circle, and as Hanley caught Strickland's perfect throw and whirled with the ball, Reddy's hand slid to the bag. Reddy got to his feet amid a rather breathless silence. Even the coachers were quiet. There was a moment of relaxation, then Wayne received the ball from Hanley and faced the next batter. This was Dump Kane. There was a sign of some kind, almost imperceptible, between Kane and Reddy. As Wayne half-turned in his swing to pitch, Reddy Ray bounded homeward, It was not so much the boldness of his action as the amazing swiftness of it that held the audience spellbound. Like a thunderbolt, Reddy came down the line, almost beating Wayne's pitch to the plate. But Kane's bat intercepted the ball, laying it down, and Reddy scored without sliding. Door by Sharp Work Just managed to throw Kane out at first. Three runs so quick it was hard to tell how they'd come. Not in the major leagues could there have been faster work. And the ball had been fielded perfectly and thrown perfectly. Well, there you are, said Delaney, hoarsely. Can you beat it? If you've been wondering how the crippled stars won so many games, just put what you've seen in your pipe and smoke it. Red Gilbat gets on, Reddy Clammer gets on, and then Reddy Ray drives them home or chases them home. The game went on, and though it did not exactly drag, it slowed down considerably. Morrissey and Healy were retired on infield plays, and the sides changed. For the Grays, O'Brien made a scratch hit, went to second on Strickland's sacrifice, stole third, and scored on Mallory's infield out. Wayne missed three strikes. In the Stars' turn, the three end players on the batting list were easily disposed of. In the third inning, the clever Blake, aided by a base on balls and a hit following, tied the score and once more struck fire and brimstone from the impatient bleachers. Providence was a town that had to have its team win. "'Get at them, Reds,' said Delaney, gruffly. "'Batter up,' called umpire Fuller sharply. "'Where's Red? Where's the bug? Where's the nut? Delaney, did you lock the gates? Look under the bench. These and other remarks, not exactly elegant, attested to the mental processes of some of the stars. Red Gilbat did not appear to be forthcoming. There was an anxious delay while Captain Healy searched for the missing player. Delaney didn't say anything else. Suddenly a door under the grandstand opened and Red Gilbat appeared. He hurried for his bat and then up to the plate and he never offered to hit one of the balls that Whalings shot over. When Fuller had called the third strike, Red hurried back to that door and disappeared again. "'Something's doing,' whispered Delaney. Lord Chesterfield Climber paraded to the batter's box, and after gradually surveying the field, as if picking out the exact place he meant to drive the ball, he stepped to the plate. Then a roar from the bleachers surprised him. "'Well, I'll be doggone,' exclaimed Delaney. "'Red stole that sure-shootin!' Red Gilbat was pushing a brand new baby carriage towards the batter's box. There was a tittering in the grandstand, another roar from the bleachers. Clammer's face turned as red as his hair. Gilbat shoved the baby carriage upon the plate, spread wide his long arms, made a short presentation speech and an elaborate bow, and then backed away. All eyes were centered on Clamor. If he had taken it right, the incident might have passed without undue hilarity. But Clamor became absolutely wild with rage. It was well known that he was unmarried. Equally well was it seen that Gilbat had executed one of his famous tricks. Ball players were inclined to be dignified about the presentation of gifts upon the field, and Clammer, the dude, the swell, the ladies' man, the favorite of the baseball gods, in his own estimation, so far lost control of himself that he threw his bat at his retreating tormentor. Red jumped high, and the bat skipped along the ground toward the bench. The players sidestepped and leaped, and of course, the bat cracked one of Delaney's big shins. His eyes popped with pain, but he couldn't stop laughing. One by one, the players lay down and rolled over and yelled. The superior clamor was not overliked by his co-players. From the grandstand floated the laughter of ladies and gentlemen, and from the bleachers that throne of the biting, ironic, scornful fans peeled up a howl of delight. It lasted for a full minute. Then, as quiet ensued, some boy blew a blast of one of those infernal little instruments of pipe and rubber balloon, and over the field wailed out a shrill, high keyed cry, an excellent imitation of a baby. "'whereupon the whole audience roared, "'and in discomfiture Reddy Clammer went in search of his bat. "'To make his chagrin all the worse, he ingloriously struck out, "'and then he strode away under the lee of the grandstand wall toward right field. Reddy Ray went to bat, and, with the infield playing deep "'and the outfield swung still further round to the right, "'he bunted a little teasing ball down the third-base line like a flash of light he'd crossed first base before Hanley got his hands on the ball. Then Kane hit into second base, forcing Reddy out. Again, the game assumed less spectacular and more ordinary play. Both Scott and Wayne held the batter safely and allowed no runs. But in the fifth inning, with the Stars at bat and two out, Red Gilbat again electrified the field. He sprang up from somewhere and walked to the plate, his long shape enfolded in a full-length linen duster. The color and style of this garment might not have been especially striking, but upon red it had a weird and wonderful effect. Evidently red intended to bat while arrayed in his long coat, for he stepped into the box and faced the pitcher. Captain Healy yelled for him to take the duster off. Likewise did the greys yell. The bleachers shrieked their disapproval. To say the least, Red Gilbat's crazy assurance was dampening to the ardor of the most blindly confident fans. At length, umpire Fuller waved his hand, enjoining silence and calling time. Take it off, or I'll find you. From his lofty height, Gilbat gazed down upon the little umpire, and it was plain what he thought. What do I care for money? replied Red. That cost you twenty-five said Fuller. Cigarette change, yelled Red. That cost you fifty. Bah, go to an eye doctor, roared Red. Seventy-five, added Fuller, imperturbably. Make it a hundred. You just made it two hundred. Robber, bawled Red. Fuller showed willingness to overlook Red's backtalk as well as costume, and he called. Play ball. There was a mounting sensation of prophetic certainty. Old Fox Wayne appeared nervous. He wasted two balls on Red. Then he put one over the plate. And then he wasted another. Three balls and one strike. That was a bad place for a pitcher. And with Red Gilbad up, it was worse. Wayne swung longer and harder to get all his left behind the throw and then let it drive. "'Red lunged and cracked the ball. "'It went up and up "'and kept going up and farther out, "'and as the murmuring audience "'was slowly transfixed into late realization, "'the ball soared to its height "'and dropped beyond the left-field fence. "'A home run! "'Red Gilbat gathered up the tails of his duster "'after the manner of a neat woman "'crossing a muddy street "'and ambled down to first base, "'then on to second, "'making prodigious jumps upon the bags, "'and round third, to come down the home stretch wagging his red head. Then he stood on the plate, and as if to exact revenge from the audience for the fun they'd made of him, he threw back his shoulders and bellowed, Ha! 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 Not a hand clap greeted him, but some mindless, exceedingly adventurous fan yelled, Redhead! 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 That was the one thing calculated to rouse Red Gilbat. He seemed to flare, to bristle, and he paced for the bleachers. Delaney looked as if he might have a stroke. "'Grab him! Soak him with a bat! Somebody grab him!' But none of the stars was risking so much, and Gilbat, to the howling derision of the gleeful fans, reached the bleachers. He stretched his long arms up to the fence and prepared to vault over. "'Where's the guy who called me Redhead?' he yelled. "'That was heaping fuel on the fire.' From all over the bleachers, from everywhere, came the obnoxious word. Red heaved himself over the fence and piled into the fans. Then followed the roar of many voices, the tramping of many feet, the pressing forward of line after line of shirt-sleeved men and boys. That bleachers stand suddenly assumed the maelstrom appearance of a surging mob round an agitated center. In a moment, all the players rushed down the field. and confusion reigned. Oh, 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 moaned Delaney. However, the game had to go on. Delaney, no doubt, felt all was over. Nevertheless, there were games occasionally that seemed an unending series of unprecedented events.
1: This one had begun admirably to break a record. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.
0: had cultivated an appetite as the game proceeded. They were wild to put the other redheads out of the field, or at least out for the inning. Wild to tie the score, wild to win, and wilder than all for more excitement. The game proceeded. Clammer hit safely, but when Reddy Ray lined to the second baseman, Clammer, having taken the lead, got doubled up in the play. Of course, the sixth inning opened with the Stars playing only eight men. There was another delay. Probably everybody except Delaney and perhaps Healy had forgotten the Stars were short a man. Fuller called time. The impatient bleachers barked for action. Captain White came over to Delaney and courteously offered to lend a player for the remaining innings. Then a pompous individual came out of the door leading from the press boxes. He was a director that Delaney disliked. "'Guess you better let Fuller call the game,' he said brusquely. "'If you want to, as the score stands now in our favor,' replied Delaney. "'Not on your life. It'll be ours, or else we'll play it out and beat you to death.' He departed in a high dudgeon. "'Tell Reddy to swing over a little toward the left,' was Delaney's order to Healy. Fire gleamed in Delaney's eyes. Fuller called play then with Ruddy Clammer and Reddy Ray composing the star outfield, and the Greys evidently prepared to do great execution through the wide lanes thus opened up. At that stage, it would not have been like matured ball players to try and crop hits down into the infield. White sent a long fly back of Clammer. Reddy had no time to loaf on this hit. It was all he could do to reach it, and he made a splendid catch, for which the crowd roundly applauded him. That applause was wine to Reddy Clammer. He began to prance on his toes and sing out to Scott. Make him hit to me, old man, make him hit to me. Whether Scott desired that or not was scarcely possible to say. At any rate, Hanley pounded a hit through the infield, and Clammer, prancing high in the air like a check reined horse, ran to intercept the ball. He could have received it in his hands, but that would never have served Reddy Clammer. He timed the hit to a nicety, went down with his old grandstand play, and blocked the ball with his anatomy. Delaney swore, and the bleachers, now warm toward the gallant outfielder, lustily cheered him. Babcock hit down the right field foul line, giving Clammer a long run. Hanley was scoring, and Babcock was sprinting for third base, when Reddy got the ball. He had a fine arm, and he made a hard and accurate throw, catching his man in a close play. Perhaps even Delaney could not have found any fault with that play. But the aftermath spoiled the thing. Clamor now rode the air. He soared. He was in the clouds. It was his inning, and he had utterly forgotten his teammates, except inasmuch as they were performing mere little automatic movements to direct the great machinery in his direction for his sole achievement and play. There is fate in baseball, as well as in other walks of life, O'Brien was a strapping fellow, and he lifted another ball into Klammer's wide territory. The hit was of the high and faraway variety. Klammer started to run with it, not like a grim outfielder, but like one thinking of himself, his style, his opportunity, his inevitable success. Certain it was that in thinking of himself, the outfielder forgot his surroundings. He ran across the foul line, head up, hair flying, unheeding the warning cry from Healy and, reaching up to make his crowning circus play, he smashed face forward into the bleacher's fence. Then, limp as a rag, he dropped. The audience sent forth a long groan of sympathy. That wasn't one of his stage falls, said Delaney. I'll bet he's dead. Poor Reddy. And I want him to bust his face. Glamour was carried off the field into the dressing room, "'and a physician was summoned out of the audience. "'Cap, what, what'd it do to him?' asked Delaney. "'Ah, it's just spoiled his pretty mug, that's all,' replied Healy scornfully. "'Maybe he'll listen to me now.' "'Delaney's change was characteristic of the man. "'Well, if it didn't kill him, I'm blame-glad he got it. "'Cap, we can trim him yet. Reddy Ray will play the whole outfield. "'Give Reddy a chance to run.' Tell the boy to cut loose, and all of you get in the game. Win or lose, I won't forget it. I've a hunch. Once in a while I can tell what's coming off. Some queer game this and we're gonna win. Gilbat lost the game. Clammer throwed it away again, and now Reddy Ray's due to win it. I'm all in. But I wouldn't miss this finish to save my life. Delaney's deep presaging sense of baseball events was never put to a greater test and the seven star players now with the score tied exhibited the temper and timber of a championship team in the last ditch it was so splendid that almost instantly it caught the antagonistic bleachers wherever the tired Scott found renewed strength and speed was a mystery but he struck out the hard hitting Providence catcher and that made the third out the Stars couldn't score in their half of the inning. Likewise, the seventh inning passed without a run for either side. Only the infield work of the Stars was something superb. When the eighth inning ended, without a tally for either team, the excitement grew tense. There was Reddy Ray playing outfield alone, and the Grays, with all their desperate endeavors, had not lifted the ball out of the infield. But in the ninth, Blake, the first man up, Lined low toward the right center. The hit was safe and looked good for three bases. No one looking, however, had calculated on Reddy Ray's fleetness. He covered ground and dove for the bounding ball and knocked it down. Blake didn't get beyond first base. The crowd cheered the play equally with the prospect of a run. Doer bunted and beat the throw. White hit one of the high fastballs Scott was serving and sent it close to the left field foul line. The running that Reddy Ray made on that play held White at second base, but two runs had scored with no one out. Hanley, the fourth left-handed hitter, came up, and Scott pitched to him as he had to the others, high fastballs over the inside corner of the plate. Reddy Ray's position was some 50 yards behind deep short and a little toward center field. He stood sideways, facing two-thirds of that vacant outfield, In spite of Scott's skill, Hanley swung the ball far round into the right field, but he hit it high, and almost before he actually hit it, the great sprinter was speeding across the green. The surprise grew almost unbearable as the ball soared in its parabolic flight and the red-haired runner streaked dark across the green. The ball seemed never to be coming down, and when it began to descend and reached a point perhaps fifty feet above the ground, there appeared more distance between where it would alight and where Reddy was than anything human could cover. It dropped and dropped, and then dropped into Reddy Ray's outstretched hands as he dove. He had made the catch look easy, but the fact that White scored from second base on the play showed what the catch really was. There was no movement or restlessness of the audience such as usually indicated the beginning of the exodus. Scott struck Babcock out. The game still had fire. The Grays never let up a moment on their coaching, and the hoarse voices of the Stars were grimmer than ever. Reddy Ray was the only one of the seven who kept silent, and he crouched like a tiger. The teams changed sides with the Grays three runs in the lead. Morrissey for the Stars opened with a clean drive to the right. Then Healy slashed a ground ball to Hanley, and nearly knocked him down. When old Burns, by a hard rap to short, advanced the runners a base and made a desperate, though unsuccessful, effort to reach first, the Providence crowd awoke to a strange and inspiring appreciation. They began that most rare feature in baseball audiences, a strong and trenchant call for the visiting team to win. The play had gone fast and furious. Wayne, sweaty and disheveled, worked violently. All the greys were on uneasy tiptoes and the stars were seven Indians on the warpath. Halloran fouled down the right field line, then he fouled over the left field fence. Whaling tried to make him too anxious, but it was in vain. Halloran was implacable. With two strikes and three balls, he hit straight down to white and was out. The ball had been so sharp that neither runner on base had a chance to advance. Two men out, two on base, stars wanting three runs to tie, Scott, a weak hitter, at the plate. The situation was disheartening to say the least. Yet there sat Delaney, shot through and through with some vital, compelling force. He saw only victory. And when the very first ball pitched to Scott hit him on the leg, giving him his base, Delaney got to his feet Unsteady and hoarse. Base is full, ready, Ray up. Three runs to tie. Delaney looked at Reddy, and Reddy looked at Delaney. The manager's face was pale, intent, with a little smile. The player had eyes of fire, a lean, bulging jaw, and the hands he reached for his bat clutched like talons. Reddy, I knew it was waiting for you, said Delaney, his voice ringing. "'Break up the game!' "'After all, this was only a baseball game, "'and perhaps from the fans' viewpoint, "'a poor game at that. "'But the moment when that lithe, red-haired athlete "'toed the plate was a beautiful one. "'The long crash from the bleachers, "'the steady cheer from the grandstand, "'proved that it was not so much the game that mattered. "'Wayne, the pitcher, had shot his bolt. "'He was tired.' yet he made ready for a final effort. It seemed that passing ready-ray on balls would have been a wise play at that juncture, but no pitcher probably would have done it with the bases crowded and chances, of course, against the batter. Clean and swift, ready leaped at the first pitched ball. Ping! For a second, no one saw the hit. Then it gleamed, a terrific drive, low along the ground, like a bounding bullet. Straight at Babcock in right field. It struck his hands and glanced viciously away to roll toward the fence. Thunder broke loose from the stands. Reddy Ray was turning first base. Beyond first base, he got into his wonderful stride. Some runners run with a consistent speed, the best they can make for a given distance. But this trained spreader gathered speed as he ran. He was no short stepping runner. His strides were long. They gave an impression of strength combined with fleetness. He had the speed of a racehorse, but the trimness, the raciness, the delicate legs were not characteristic of him. Like the wind he turned second, so powerful that his turn was short. All at once there came a difference in his running. It was no longer beautiful. The grace was gone. It was now fierce, violent. His momentum was running him off his legs. He whirled round third base and came hurtling down the home stretch. His face was convulsed. His eyes were wild. His arms and legs worked in a marvelous, muscular velocity. He seemed a demon, a flying streak. He overtook and ran down the laboring Scot, who had almost reached the plate. The park seemed full of shrill, piercing, strife. It swelled, reached the highest pitch, sustained that for a long moment, and then declined. "'My God!' exclaimed Delaney as he fell back. "'Wasn't that a finish! "'Didn't I tell you to watch them redheads?' "'Thanks for joining us today "'at 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales "'for this minor league baseball story "'so well-written by Zane Gray. "'Baseball's a lot of fun today, and it's very expensive.' And it must have been a lot of fun back in those days in the minor leagues as well. Hope you all enjoyed it. We'll be back next Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for joining us. And if you loved our show, please do send us a review. We'd appreciate that very, very much.